I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. I am Aaron Alexander, and today I chatted with uh, a fellow that I quite enjoy. His name is Mark Bowden. You may know the name. He's got a pretty fantastic TED Talk on the subject of body language, and uh, he's got several books written on the topic, one of which being Winning Body Language for Sales Professionals. The other one, Tame the Primitive Brain, which you will hear me Love up that title in the chat. I apologize for that, Mark. And uh, last one is called Winning Body Language. Super, super fantastic chat. I had a great time with Mark. And uh, in this conversation, we got into the reptilian brain. We got into the limbic brain. We got into the neofrontal cortex very, very lightly because we don't need to get too much into these models. It's more about actionable tips on how we conduct ourselves better in this world. Um, Got into utilization of our hands. He calls it the truth plane. Where you are putting your hands determines how people perceive the information you're giving out and also how you feel about the information and feel about yourself as you're disseminating it upon the world so you've got yeah your brain which is this kind of central computing system and you've got its output which might be the ways you're thinking and feeling and what you're doing but instead of trying to change the hardware and the software how about trying to change the input in that kind of classic computing way of garbage in garbage out if you put nonsense into your brain what can you expect you can't expect brilliance out of it when most people are calm and assertive and confident their hands tend to gravitate around this this core area here around the stomach around the navel area yeah and they tend to have open palms when they're excited and agitated yeah their hands tend to come up to their chest area again you know there's nothing wrong with this knowing that somebody accepts your state is as good as them being in a state it's as tribal as them being in a state mark's got beautiful locks beautiful beautiful hair beautiful blue eyes i got lost in his blue eyes mark if you're listening, Mark, they're beautiful. Um, check out aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find the blog. You will find hundreds of free videos on functional care, functional movement, and self-care. And you will find the self-care kits, foam roller, a couple different size balls, bands, uh, everything that you need to keep that body moving well. Along with it, I include an ebook video guide, over 30 videos on how to work that little bugger. And uh, I got a bunch of new stuff coming out. I'm putting out a uh, kettlebell self-care ebook video guide, which goes through a whole slew of different techniques on how to use a, utilize a kettlebell to take care of your connective tissue and reintegrate that body of yours. If you want your body language to be fantastic and functional and upright and strong and domineering and the right combination of all those things, you got to take care of that tissue. That's a fact. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe, share, leave comments, and thank you so much, Mark, for coming on. Here we go. Biggity, biggity, boom. Align Podcast.
All right. Mark Burton, we just did an introduction, and we may or may not have lost it, so we're going to do it again. Good. Go for uh, it. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Um, I just finished up the book, and you're gonna, I'm going to try it. It's 28 Ways to Tame the Reptilian Brain in 28 uh, Days. That's uh, so wrong. All right. Uh, what, <laughs> okay. The book is called Tame the Primitive Brain, <laughs> and the subtitle is 28 Ways in 28 Days to Manage the Most Impulsive Behavior at Work. Yes. It took me about three years to learn how to say that. Right. It took me about, I don't know, a week to write the book. Right. Three years to learn how to say the title. <laughs> Well, you could do an acronym for it, but I think the acronym would be too darn long as well. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and not a word. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, so one of the things I was listening – I just finished the book up, by the way. Right? I'm like two chapters away from finishing up. I thought it was fantastic. And um, I, one of the things I was watching your TED Talk, which that's how I originally got turned on to you. Sure. And it, and it was great. I, I, I totally enjoyed it. One of the things that, that you mentioned there, I believe, was that you uh, are dys dyslexic. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. All yeah. right. So, yeah. so my thought with that is, you know, I think that that's one of those things where we find out that we have these differences with each other and people work so hard in order to, to fit into the pack, you know, and like just not be noticed. And, you know, and oftentimes I think those differences, you know, that is what makes us special. That is what makes sure. us be an important part of the team is the fact that maybe I read different. Maybe I'm black. Maybe I'm gay. Maybe I'm really good at math or Jenga or whatever, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I think it's so important that we recognize that and embrace those things. And oftentimes, you know, it's like you either get crucified or worshiped forever if you're a little bit different from other people, you know, it's sure. like, and so I'm curious. With your development, was that something that you learned early on, like that I'm different and that actually helped you in the long run? Or how was that? Well, I guess, uh, unfortunately, and maybe fortunately, I, I didn't know about uh, dyslexia until way, way later on. So when I was at, at school, essentially, and, and really at that time when I was at school, dyslexia wasn't really a, a, a big thing or a noted thing. So essentially, I was just called stupid and lazy. And right. <laughs> uh, but... but, but uh, the last thing I was was that, you know, I was trying really hard to get things right and to be good at what I was doing. And just it didn't work out. I'd try really hard and stuff wouldn't come out. You know, if I was doing a maths question, I knew in my head how to do maths. It's just all the numbers would come out the wrong way for everybody else. For me, it was the right way around. For everybody else, it was the wrong way around. If I was constructing a sentence or spelling a word, for me, it would be a great story and the sentences would be great and the words would be spelt correctly. For everybody else, it was utter gibberish. And so... I would get my work given back to me covered in red ink. And so my, my first appreciation really of school was uh, that I, I got all my stuff red inked. And so I guess out of that came this idea of, of thinking very visually and being very visual and being very physical. Right. Essentially, if, if I was going to get red inked on anything that I'm writing, um, then if I can talk about stuff or if I can make stuff and explain stuff physically, I'm more likely to get stuff right. So I veered over to that kind of visual area of life. So there was a benefit there. At the same time, uh, you know, I experienced a lot of people saying, you're not trying very hard when that wasn't the case. Right. 
And then you had gotten into theater at a young-ish age as, as well. Is that right? Is yeah, that- because, because you know, I'd gotten into that because I couldn't kind of uh, read or write that, that well. And so, uh, and, and people said I was really good at it. And I guess when people say you're good at stuff, you tend to gravitate towards doing it, right. uh, especially when they're saying you're not very good at the thing over there. Right. And so... Uh, you know, I got quite good at that, especially when I went on to train uh, later on in my wi- life. I got I got very, very specific about training around visual theatre, physical theatre, and I got really involved with how the body tells stories, which is kind of how I got involved in the body language and behaviour right. thing. I was just fascinated with how that body tells stories to other people and how it tells a story to to us as well, how we get a narrative from it and others get a narrative from us. We're, we're telling our, ourselves a story all the time through the body that we, that we have right. and telling other people. So, yeah, I got fascinated by that area. And, you know, I think there's arbitrary statistic. We, you know, words are something like 7% of our communication, you know, and then the rest of it, the biggest thing is body language and the other part is, is tonality. You know, it's, right. it's, and I think it's, it's really important that we recognize that, firstly, that that's, that's happening, you know? Sure, sure. I mean, just to be specific about, about that, um, that kind of stat, that comes from uh, a guy called Moravian, um, who was a um, uh, professor of psychology at uh, University of California, I think, if I remember right. And, and essentially what he was saying there is that the majority of uh, the data that we require in order to work out how somebody's thinking and feeling, to get what we call a theory of mind, yeah. the majority is the nonverbal data, what we see and what we hear in the tonality. And really what somebody says doesn't really have much bearing on the way we, we decide how somebody else is thinking and feeling. Right. So to give you an example of that, yeah. um, you know, I'm able to see a visual image of you right now because we're on, uh, on Skype together. And so regardless of what you say, my mind is paying most attention to your body and how you're moving and your tonality and and, and the music of what you're saying, rather than actually what you're saying, in order to work out, do you like me? Do you not like me? Am I saying something good? Am I saying something bad? Are you interested? Are you not interested? Really, I am... Um, fascinated at an unconscious level in your movement to work out how you think and feel about me. Right. Now, in t- terms of, uh, you know, universal, la- you know, language day to day, of course, uh, most of our language isn't body language, else we'd never be able to read a book. You know, <laughs> a book is is all pretty much um, uh, verbal language, written language. But how we detect how somebody's thinking and feeling, that is almost entirely body language. Right. And, you know, so right now I'm getting that you're perceiving me as sexual partners. That, is that yeah, exactly. Well, you, you're there with not much on and under the right circumstances. <laughs> right. You know, that, Absolutely. That could, be, that could be the case. So right. it's just good that there's a lot of electronic distance yeah. between us right now. Yeah. Well, I have, I love the, the uh, NHL Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. So, you know, you never know <laughs> what could happen. Uh, not that NHL is a gay reference at all. You just happen to live in Toronto. No, exactly. The ra- <laughs> so one of the things I think is, is important to recognize is that we get wrapped up in emotions oftentimes and we feel, you know, like 
I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm envious, I'm fill in the blank, you know, and something that's very, very important is that we do not get dominated by these external sensations as though they are me. You know, and so as though if I'm feeling blank right now, it's because my soul is that. It's like, I don't know about that. I, I feel like it's more like your environment and your, you know, your instincts and all these patterns, these habituations of who you think you are, are just being perpetuated. And I think there's, there's a similar thing happening with your body language, you know, and they play off each other. They're, you know, they're, they're tit for tat. They're, they're, they're ping ponging back and forth with each other. How you move equals how you feel, how you feel expresses how you move. You know, Absolutely. And so something that you get into with this, or you know, this is what you do, um, not to tell you what you do, you know, but it is, <laughs> <laughs> this is what please, you do, Marvin. Please, somebody tell me. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's starting to be able to teach people how to actually leverage that, you know, and, and then recognizing as well that if you do leverage it properly, then eventually it really does impact how you feel. It really does impact how people conceive you and really does impact maybe who you are. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, what I'd like to say about that is, is I think many of us have thought for, for some time, you know, how you feel is, is kind of something that happens in your brain somewhere and in your feelings and, and that's just how you feel and you can't change that. And, and as you were saying, that sometimes feels like that's you. You know, I'm a, I'm a happy person. I'm a, I'm a sad person. I'm an upset person rather than going, well, yeah, you, you maybe are right now and that could change. And do, would you like to change that? And if you would like to change that, what are the different ways that you could change that? And I think for some time, many of us had been thinking, well, you have to be able to change that kind of psychologically if, or emotionally. You know, if there's something wrong with the way you're thinking right now, you've got to change your thinking. Or if there's something you don't quite like about the way you feel right now, well, you've got to change your feelings. And then what happened was many of us started thinking, well, Yes, you could do it that way, but maybe you can create an intervention at the physical level. Because what we were thinking about was the, the output of your mind could be very, very dependent on the input to it. So you've got, yeah, your brain, which is this kind of central computing system, and you've got its output, which might be the ways you're thinking and feeling and what you're doing. But instead of trying to change the hardware and the software, how about trying to change the input? In that kind of classic computing way of garbage in, garbage out, if you put nonsense into your brain, what can you expect? You can't expect brilliance out of it. But what if you put in a very specific input that stands you a really good chance of getting a specific output? So let me just simplify that. Um, you know, you might have noticed that if you smile, you start to feel happier, regardless of whether you know, there is actually anything to feel happy about. You know, the moment you put, you know, you pull the sides of your mouth up and you narrow your eyes, uh, you know, instantly I start, as I'm doing that, I feel even more optimistic about this interview. I get even more, <laughs> even more, not that I was pessimistic. I was about sensing it. a lot of tension before you smiled. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But, but I start to enjoy it even more. Um, let me actually just, turn the sides of my mouth down now and furrow my brow a bit and sink my body down. And actually, just by doing that, I've started to... You, you can probably hear a difference in my 
voice, but notice I'm not I'm not, not now over the screen getting eye contact with you anymore, uh, Aaron. And I actually feel a little bit um, uh, wary of this interview and, and, and pessimistic uh, about it. Actually, I'm getting a bit panicky now. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm going I'm yeah. to change what I'm, what I'm doing. Now, you know, this is just messing around with the simple kind of happy and sad face. But there's so much more else you can do with, with your bigger body, your bigger environment, the people you're around, the spaces that you're in. There's so much you can do with your physical environment as an intervention to change your output behavior. Not only what you're doing, but the way you're thinking and the way you're feeling. So in, in Tame the Primitive Brain, 28 Ways in 28 Days to Manage the Most Impulsive Behavior at Work, <laughs> In that book, <laughs> let's just call it that book for that now book, on. I like so, that. It's a good that, book. Yeah, yeah. In that very good book, um, there's lots of examples there of how to kind of change the environment on yourself in order to change your behavior and change your thinking and change the way you think and feel about other people and, your, and yourself. So all of that to say, yes, Aaron, you're yeah. right. Yes. That's what, I was, that's what I was looking for the whole time. I bet you were going. I was holding my breath. Um, So, and that gets into something that's really crucially important that people may or may not recognize. I think by now, if they're listening to this show, they probably do because I'm kind of a broken record with some of these things because I think it's so important, you know, is recognizing that your environment, you are a product of your environment. You know, I was realizing this the other day. I was walking barefoot. I walked barefoot into Fred Meyer last night because I had to get a coconut water or whatever. And (laughs) and so I'm, I'm walking barefoot. So you. And, I had to and so me, you know, <laughs> and so I'm walking barefoot to get my coconut water, and uh, I'm I'm looking down at the ground, and there's like this, there's like bubble gum, and there's like you know an oil stain, and all this stuff that I'm walking with my bare feet on, and I'm like, oh my, like that is that is becoming me. A little bit of that is going into my pores, into my bloodstream, and now is a part of me. The water that I drink is a part of me. The food that I eat, these conversations that I have, they're all being assimilated into my system and becoming who I am. You know, one of the quotes that I got out of your book that I thought was fantastic was by, I forget what the guy's name is, um, but it was before you diagnose yourself with depression, Look around and recognize whether you're surrounding yourself with assholes or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that, look, certain elements, you could be, um, you could have an affective disorder, for sure. You could, you could have uh, depression and there'd be no, you know, there'd be no reason why you should or shouldn't have have that. Many of us get it and then don't have it and can't work out why we got it in the first place and how we managed to not get it for, for a moment. Right. Uh, but at the same time, yes, do look around your environment and go, well, is there something in this environment that's causing this around me? And what can I change and what can't I change? Right. You know, or probably more importantly, what am I prepared to put effort into changing? And what actually am I not prepared to put effort into changing? What's too expensive for me to change and what isn't too expensive or even if it looks too expensive I'm just going to do it anyway because I can't I can't function in the way that I want to function in this environment you know I'm sure you can think about there's certain um, certain things in your environment that are clearly going to change your behavior and change the way you think and and feel and some of them may seem changeable and some of them won't seem changeable right. but even the ones that don't seem changeable you know, they probably are. Right. It's, it's just you're going to have to pay 
in some way to, to get that change. And it may feel at the time too expensive. And so one of the, so I've, I've done, you know, a bit of studying with neurolinguistic programming and I've, I've, I've read a, a ton of body language, maybe not a ton. I've probably read six. That could be almost a ton. <laughs> you know, but so in, in this, in my, my extensive research of these six books that I may or may not have read, um, you know, something that you see is you see like, you know, okay, create, establish rapport, you know, right. so, so people love who themselves you know yeah. so if you can immediately take on the tone of the person you'll see this in you know if you're in like a board meeting which i've never been to one before but i assume sure. this is what happens at a board meeting um is you know you start to mimic whoever's in charge you know i was talking to nick morgan about this as well I'm yeah i'm sure you're familiar with him i know nick yeah sure. yeah and um you know that's one of the things is is, is like f- realizing who is in charge you know and then kind of starting to nlp term for that in linguistic programming is pace pacing with that and yeah. then from there this is something that i do in my own practice here you can see I, I, we're, we're in my we're in a line therapy here right now yeah, exactly um, is I'll do that when clients come in the door every time. So you, maybe not hundred percent, but a high percent of the time, you know, I'm kind of like in this unicorn land a little bit where I'm like, blah, blah, you know, and I'll be like, don't a handstand or some, something ridiculous. <laughs> if someone comes in to see me and they are distressed, they're in pain, their femur feels like whatever, you know, they have all this stuff going on. They don't want to see a person that's like, blah, 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 you know, sure. it will make them very uncomfortable. You know, sure. and, and so and so that pacing, that relationship of, of being able to atone to what's happening with them, and then perhaps if you choose, if you want that, guiding them to maybe a happier place or guiding them to whatever place it may be. My question is, how does do, is there any relation, any change with say sexual partner versus business relationship versus friend versus enemy? You know, like how do we approach that, or is it always just mimic? You know, yeah. or embody so, them. So we're designed to mimic people anyway. Right. Uh, you know, this whole NLP idea of pacing and, and leading, which is good stuff, totally works, by the way. It's great. It's, it's great tech. Very, very good. No problem with that. Uh, my interest is, however, is that that's what we do anyway. And when it's, and we do that in order to build rapport, in order to build tribes, in order to get on with people. We really are designed to try and get on with people, not to not get on with them. Um, it's, it's only when they are very specifically in a different tribe, a different mindset, a di- have a different set of values, beliefs, rituals, customs, goals, and concerns and signals than us, than we co- that we come into this huge conflict with them. But we're designed to mirror. Now, here's what's interesting. Say uh, a client comes in with you and they are in some kind of pain, deep pain. How useful is it to mirror the level of extreme pain that they're, that they're in? Uh, should you mirror it entirely? Because if you've now got two people in extreme pain, right. how, you, how able are you to help them? Let's, let's think somebody comes um, to me as a client and they have extreme anxiety, for example, around speaking to an audience. Is it useful for me to mirror their anxiety and get very, very worried along, <laughs> alongside them? Is it useful for me to, as in some clients I've had, actually you know, break out in hives with them? I'm sure I could manage that if I put myself into a completely emotionally and physically empathetic state. I could probably get my body to break out. Um, so pacing and is not 
always the most useful way to help people. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's more useful. Uh, and I and I try and get this across in 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 that book, Tame the Primitive Brain. Uh, I try and get across that it is useful sometimes to have cognitive empathy and not emotional empathy. So in in pacing, what we're usually talking about is emotional empathy and and copying that you're actually physically copying. Their, their, the way their, their tonality, their body, their thought process, in order to get a real feeling for them. But sometimes it's more useful to just know that they're in a different feeling, to know the state that they're in, to accept the state that they're in, but not join the state that they're in. Right. And for the brain, knowing that somebody accepts your state is as good as them being in a state. It's as tribal as them being in a state. So look, I'm not saying don't pace. And, uh, and sometimes I'm saying pace. It's just you've got, you've got to find the right time to do it when it's most useful for you and most useful for the, the people around you. I hope that clarifies that in some way, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things, this is kind of sort of random, but it's something I, I picked up out of that book that I liked was, was or maybe it was a, a, a talk that you did. Anyways, there's, there's no such thing as bad body language. Mm. You know, there's just, there's just effects thereof. Yeah, there's just, the, you know, what I say is there's no such thing as bad body language. There's just results that you didn't want. Right. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> so, right. so, you know, if I'm getting a result that I didn't want, there's no point in me saying, oh, no, I was doing some really bad body language then. Because in another circumstance, the same body language could have got me a result that I wanted. Right. When I'm with clients and I'm helping them with their physicality to get what they want, I'm never saying, well, you're doing you know, the wrong body language or that's bad body language. All I say is, is are you getting the result that you want? And if you're not, what could we do physically to help you get that result? Yeah. I'm never trying to go, what should you stop doing? Right. So I'm never trying to stop somebody doing some kind of physical action. I'm trying to get them to concentrate and do the right physical actions to get the results that they want. Right. And if they focus on that, anything that they're doing which isn't giving them that result should fall away anyway. Right. As you've probably experienced yourself and with many people that you've talked to in, in this kind of area, is that it's very hard for people to stop doing certain actions. You know, when you tell somebody don't do that. The first thing they do is get an image of the thing that they're not meant to be doing in their head. They tend to play out that thing in their head, then do a reverse of it in their head. Right. So it's only, you know, moments later that they're actually doing the thing, the not thing. They've spent, they've spent most of their time, yeah, they've spent most of their time trying to think about and not do the thing that they're not meant to be doing. It's a, it's a, it, the brain doesn't like don't do. I mean, right. look, here's a classic right. example. Don't think of an apple right now. Right. Yeah, no, don't, don't, don't do doesn't exist, don't do it. really. Right. <laughs> it doesn't exist for the brain. Right. The brain has to do the do and then reverse engineer to work out what the not doing would be. Right. Meanwhile, it spent most of its time imagining the thing it's not meant to be involved in. So, you know, in terms of behavioral change, the thing to concentrate on is the result that you want to get, not the result that you're trying to get 
away from. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as actionable tip, because we're, we're only have 16 minutes left. Um, 16, 16 minutes. minutes. Um, <laughs> so as far as actionable tips that people can utilize, something that I'm very interested in is public speaking. In fact, I have mm. an event coming up in uh, London here in October. Nice. And so, uh, and then we're planning on doing like a tour throughout Europe there. So a lot of public speaking to come for an individual. And for me, like I'm, I'm the kind of person where like, I feel like I'm like, I'm great. I'm good. I've totally got this. It's all good. And then usually it works out, but then there's, there are times for sure where it's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <gasps> Mother of God. I'm not good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So in that situation, like what does a person do? How do you, you know, obviously preparation trumps most things, you know, sure. but, but like how going into public speaking, you know, what, in whatever medium that may be for those times that you might all of a sudden, you know, croak or whatever the term would be, what, yeah. what do we do? What's, what's, how do we prevent? How do we, how do we kill it? Yeah, so the, the key is, is to start looking at your physicality and, and knowing uh, how you perform, how your body is when you're calm and assertive, when you're confident, right. essentially. And just as a, as a generalization, a good generalization around this, when most people are calm and assertive and confident, their hands tend to gravitate around this, this core area here, right. around the stomach, around the navel area yeah and they tend to have open palms when they're excited and agitated yeah their hands tend to come up to their chest area again you know there's nothing wrong with this because under the right circumstances this can get me a really lively great result right. and when people are down depressed when they kind of feel the whole thing is over and what or they might be going into fight and flight their hands tend to drop down by their sides and their center of gravity lowers so my advice to people would be and yourself is that look Go out there, if you're feeling confident, go out there and speak how you like. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. But if you start to feel this wave of, of doubt, this wave of nerves, anxiety, worry, if you start to feel that kind of fight and flight uh, adrenaline starting to kick off, all you want to do is just bring your hands to this navel area here and start just opening with uh, gesturing with very open gestures and open palms and very very quickly your breathing will correct you'll start to breathe in a more calm assertive manner that'll send the right amounts of carbon dioxide and oxygen around your bloodstream give your endocrine system a signal that everything's okay there aren't any predators in the room it's totally fine you're not getting attacked and things will start to calm down and feel good for you but you've got to know You've got, to, you've got to be able to feel when, you know, you're moving into anxiety and know it's about you and not them. Because it's very easy often, you know, when you're public speaking, that you start to feel anxious. But what you do is you make it about the audience and you go, oh, they're not a good audience. They're not responding very well. You know, they don't like me. Well, look, that, you know, that could be true. But there's nothing you can actually do about that. Like if they hate you, your chances of turning around their hate for you is, is, is relatively limited within the you know, hour you might have to do the bit of public speaking or less. So all you can do is something about yourself. Yeah, And so make yourself calm, assertive, bring your hands to this belly area. It's what I call the truth plane because that's the area when you're speaking from there, most people are going to go, you know what, this person's calm, assertive, I like them, they've got great content. So that's, that's my simple ad advice is just monitor your own body. When you're feeling anxious, bring your hands to that central core position. 
Awesome. And then, you know, so with my extensive research of the six books that I may or may not have read about body language. um, (laughs) You've already read too many, by the way. You should have just read Winning Body Language. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) So I I, I feel along with that, or I, I, I know along with that, adding that degree of body language to every aspect of your life is crucially important. It's not just practice for the, you know, the presentation that's coming up in two months. You know, it's like, you know, something that I say jokingly is, you know, when you're driving, like driving sucks, you know? So I say like, when you're driving, make your car, your bitch, you know, like, like really dominate your seat, really fill up the space in there, you know, raise up the uh, mirror, the rear view mirror so that you have to be tall in your car, you know, crank up your tunes, like whatever you, when you're riding your bike, when you're roller skating, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, dominate that thing, you know, make it yours. And then what that does is it it allows you to habituate, like we're saying, that pattern of, I got this, you know? So (laughs) it's not like you'd be like, I've, I've been sucking for the last three months and now here's the presentation I've been practicing. (laughs) Well, here's, here's my example of that. That's a classic that I see all the time. I love what you're doing there, by the way, you know, making sure that people know they can adjust their environment. They have a huge control more than they think over their environment. They don't have to sit small in the vehicle. They can sit big in the vehicle. You know, they're designed with a whole bunch of adjustments. That means you can sit big and confident in them, not small, compressed and tight and, and, and encroached in it. So often I find when people sit down at those boardroom tables and they're going to give that big presentation is they sit down down in the seat as the seat was left and the seat is often left at a very low position Uh and so they may be big or small but regardless of whether you're big or small if you sit in the seat and it's at its lowest position you are tiny you're tiny and, and and you look if you look small yeah people will not think that you have big impressive ideas or that you're in control right. yeah and even the smallest person on the planet can look larger in a chair that's raised up higher so look what i do is every time i walk into a room and i sit down if the seat can be adjusted up i adjust it up so i can sit tall i don't necessarily want to sit so i dominate everybody in the room but certainly i don't want to be sat in a position where I'm feeling smaller. I'm feeling dominated by the situation. Because regardless of how confident I am, if I place myself in a position where the room dominates me, I'm going to feel less confident. Regardless of if I walked in with confidence, if I place myself in a room which is designed to create a, a... create a, a you know a, 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 an environment whereby I feel unconfident I'm going to move in that direction so I, I you know I really like what you're saying there which is adjust your environment right. because if you take control of your environment you're more likely taking control of your thinking and your output right and so again one more one more go of actionable tips sure um, as far as approaching say so again, the, the difference between like a female or, you know, a sexual potential sexual partner or a business relationship, you know, is there some type of information is like sometimes it's better to be submissive. Sometimes it's better to be be dominant. Like, is there some kind obviously it's follow your intuition. And like if you're thinking about this, you're probably already, you know, <laughs> yeah. lo- you probably already lost. So, <laughs> <laughs> but is there some difference of like, maybe sometimes I do want to be submissive. Maybe sometimes I do want to take, you know, the, the bottom hand and a handshake or what, whatever it may be. Is there like, how, what's that dynamic? 
thoughts? Well, you know, it's often I'm telling people in, in business, especially if they feel other people in the room are uncomfortable or at a, at a you know, in a, not in as great a position as them, to actually make sure that they get the upper hand in a handshake. So actually, you are not, not submissive because what you're doing is you're offering them advantage. So you, you can think about that, I think, in all kinds of relationships is how do you physically offer people advantage. So we find in, in flirt signals, um, many of the traditional classic um, innate, in fact, flirt signals of a female are about offering advantage to others. Right. Now, that's, that's not good. That's not bad. That's, that's just the, the way innately, you know, we seem to per perform. Uh, of course, there are you know, that isn't always the case, but I would gamble, you know, large money that it's mainly the case. Sure. Uh, so, you know, you, you might want to, to look at that in that, you know, sometimes that might be the way to go and sometimes it may not be the way to go, but, but certainly one of the ways to go is to offer other people advantage because regardless, it shows you to be strong. If you can purposely offer advantage, if you can purposely give a certain amount of vulnerability away, right. then it shows you've got some status to spare. And I think that can be powerful for others and powerful for you. That, that would be my general statement on it. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. And I, I, you know, for me personally, you know, my, my tribe, you know, I, I want everyone to be as, as good as they possibly can be. You know, sure. so if, if it takes having giving someone an advantage in order to bring them up i think that's a really important thing you know as opposed to just trumping them out like ha you know i am superior it's like feeds your ego but then that person you 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 lost that person and it's something right. that something that you mentioned and, and i think this is in the ted talk was be anything but indifferent. You might not have said that exactly, right. you know, but it's like that. Pretty much that, yeah. You know, we end up being so flippant indifferent to everything. And we end up missing a lot of fantastic opportunities because of that. You know, we end up walking through this world and you never know who you're going to meet. You know, it's like, it's it's about the relationships. It's about the, the, you know, the power of your tribe. You know, and if you walk around and everyone's like, eh, whatever, friend, foe, sexual, like, I just don't care. You know, you end up missing out on so many opportunities. You know, so that's, I just, I liked that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, we, we, you know, we're in a, a world now where we have technology that means that our, our tribe can be so much bigger than, than it has been in the past. We can reach people uh, literally across the, the planet uh, and, and make connections with them. But we're not really designed to do that. It's it's a real push for us. We really are just designed to hang out with the handful of people who are most important to us and not spread out much from that. So I've got to know, you know, when I walk down the street, I'm most likely to be indifferent to the majority of people out there, which means I'm going to potentially miss a lot of opportunities. Right. Now, you know, I've, I've just got to know that that's my first nature and it's our first human nature, but we can consciously play against that and consciously know that we've been indifferent to somebody and go back and try and check them out more. Right. We can purposely go into a room knowing I'm not really going to naturally want to get on with anybody here, but I'm going to try and get on on purpose right. because there's a chance 
that something extraordinary or greater than me might occur if I do that. Of course, there's a chance everybody in the room will be totally boring and you'll wish you'd never made the effort. Right. But that, that's kind of the, the gamble there. And actually, that you know, because often you're talking to human beings and human beings can be, you know, pretty incredible. Uh, even the ones that we think are going to be dull turn out to have some extraordinary things going on for them. Chances are, actually, if you're purposely... Uh, trying to create more friends out there, a bigger tribe, you'll find that there are some great people out there and it was worth your while and worth, worth your resource. So, you know, even just try it for a day and see what happens. Try for a day to walk up to people and have a chat with people who normally you wouldn't talk to at all, that you're clearly indifferent to, and see what occurs and see what's ha what happens. It's a challenge, but it's a challenge worth taking. Right. And then another, so we're, we got four minutes. Four um, of your minutes left. So uh, something else that I think is, is interesting, just to add a little bit of, you know, science stuff to it. You know, as we, we're always constantly processing information, you know, so we have this 11 million bits of information, you know, every, that our subconscious mind is processing. I think it's so, like, is it every second or every minute? No, it's it's, it's huge amounts. It's like it, it's trying to deal with about 25, you know, average PowerPoints a second. Right. <laughs> Of data, right. huge, huge amounts. You know, yeah. and so our brain is constantly being bombarded by all this information, and inherently, our bodies and our brains are are lazy. They don't want to use more mm. energy than what they have to. You sure. know, and so before we end up processing that, and this is a model that I've you know come to read and believe, whether it's actually what's happening or not, I don't really know. But I've read it enough times that I believe this is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> so our reptilian brain, you know, it, it ends up sending only sending information up through the ladder, through the limbic system, up into the neofrontal cortex, you know, dependent upon whether we decide that's valuable information or not, you know, and right. so, and so I think it's so crucially important that we recognize that every time you walk into a room, you know, you are com always being bombarded by these PowerPoint presentations of what's happening in that room, right. you know, and right. so, and so something that I, I, I think is, is, is really important is prepare yourself as you're walking into that room. You know, it's not like get into the room and then, all right, here we go, turn it on. It's like before you even enter that very first instance of you being seen by whoever, that's, that's the dialogue. It just started. Right. So do you have any kind of anything that you do with yourself, like, you know, traditions or something that you do before you go into something that is crucially important for your career or your relationship or whatever it may be? Or sure. Well, I think, think, I think there are, there are a couple of ways of thinking about this. And, and one is to know that the moment you walk in, you will get judged. And you will get right. judged. <laughs> they've already worked out before they've even seen you who you're going to be. Right. And so uh, the best you can do is send a very clear message around how you would like to be judged. Yeah, sure. it's, it can't be a complex message because if you send a very complex message around who you, you are initially, they'll go back to whatever their first judgment was because it's easy. Yeah, they need a simple system to be able to stick you in a box. Mm. Not because they're people who put people in boxes, it's because they're human. That's how we do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we put things in 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 compartments right. because if we didn't, we'd die. It would be too much 
to deal with, to, if we had to judge of its own merits every moment of every situation for its very merit at the time, we'd never be able to get out of bed in the morning and, and, and decide what to eat for breakfast. Right. Yeah, we'd never get any further. So you're going to get judged. So send a clear message around how you'd like to get judged. Yeah. Uh, so clear, simple, easy body language for people to, to, um, to decode. Right. Yeah, but also know that you're going to walk in and judge them before you've even walked in the room. You know whether you're going to have a good time or a bad time. You know whether you've decided whether they're going to like you or not like you. You know whether how you think this whole uh, thing's going to turn out. Right. And so you need to second guess yourself. Right. You need to go, well, is it really going to be like that? Is it going to be those persons? Are they going to treat me like this? Right. Can I just watch and listen and see what happens as it occurs? Right. So, you know, I try and think, how can I be more open-minded about what's going to be going on? Knowing that I won't. Nobody is open-minded. <laughs> Everybody is closed-minded. All we can do is recognize we're closed-minded yeah, and try and second-guess you know, the closed-minded um, judgments we've made, yeah? Nobody is not judgmental. Anybody who says, I'm not judgmental, by the way, they just made a judgment about themselves. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so everybody is judgmental. Everybody's closed-minded. Yeah, all we can do is go, okay, I'm judgmental and closed-minded, and I'm about to go into this room, and I've already decided what's going to happen. Can I just look at that again and work out, am I right or am I wrong? Right. And know that they're the same, right. yeah? And how can you be clear for them? Anyway, I hope that's that's useful. No, that's stuff. that's great, and that's a similar similar thing with you know the, the model of your brain, and it's like you have the reptile brain and the limbic system, and it's right. like it's a model. We don't really know what the heck is going on in there. We've so, we've come up with some solutions of sorts, and we and we attach to that so that we're comfortable around what's happening. We don't know what the heck is going on, you know, but we attach these models the same way that we attach to the model of Mark Bowden's a swell fella. Now I will start creating right. information around that, you know. So I think that's the such an important thing like you're saying is is put the model out there for people to play with you know but recognize what model you're offering to the crowd absolutely that's totally true <laughs> so so you know one good way of looking at it is all models are incorrect but some are helpful right so uh you know the the, the model of the reptilian brain the trion brain there's, there's nothing accurate about that <laughs> Yeah, of course it's not three brains. It's all one brain, and I could comp compartmentalize it into a thousand compartments or a million or right. down to the single cells. It's, it's like that's not how your brain is. It's the model of a brain. But is it helpful? Yeah, sometimes it's a really helpful model of the brain. Right. Now, if you're doing brain surgery on the Broca's area, it's not a helpful model because it doesn't put the Broca's area anywhere. You don't know where it is because right. you've only got three brains, right. the primitive brain, the, the, the limbic brain, and the neocortex. The limbic the, the 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 uh, Broca's area is somewhere in um, the, the neocortex, but it's not defined in that three-part system. So use that model while doing brain surgery, and you'll really hurt somebody. Right. But use it in your everyday behavior, and actually, you might create opportunities for other people and opportunities for yourself. Create a model of yourself that you want to transmit to other people, yet it won't be 
how you really are. You're way more complex than that. Right. But could it be helpful for you and helpful to other people? Yeah, it could be. Right. So yeah, I, I'm totally into that model idea. Yeah. And so we have gone over time, so we got to go. And you can notice, by the way, that Mark is talking. He's talking a little bit faster right now. And therefore, it's making, raising my heart rate and so on and so forth. <laughs> so that's a fantastic model of, you know, the dynamics of conversation. Where do we find you? And uh, <laughs> your work's great. Thank you so much for putting it out there. Where do people find you? Yeah. So uh, you can get hold of me um, on Twitter at Truthplane. Truthplane is T-R-U-T-H-P-L-A-N-E at Truthplane. You can go to www.truthplane.com and you can find me there. And that's the best. Or just Google Mark Bowden and I'll come up right up the top there. So uh, find me. Find me. Track me down. Hunt me down. Have more of a chat with me. Go right ahead. Fantastic. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. And uh, I will let you know next time with a Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. I'll, yeah, for I'll sure. Ring, I'll ring you up. For sure. <laughs> you, you, you let me know, and I'll be straight down there with my puck collector. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and a massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.